Good morning. I'm in that interesting period of eyesight decline. Paper or phone, glasses or no glasses. Bear with me, please. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Tom Vasher, everybody. Eyesight and all. I heard that, man. Well, good morning. So great to see all of you here in Arlington this morning. For those of you who are watching us online, thank you so much for joining in. Appreciate Tom reading that incredible text this morning. If you're a guest with us today, Tina just said this just a moment ago. But um, we have this next step lunch. So as soon as this service is over, if you're a guest, I'd love to meet you right over there, right where Tina's holding up that Grace and Five sign. We'll tell you everything you need to know about this church in five minutes or less. And then we go right downstairs for lunch. So if you're hungry and you've never been to a next step lunch, uh, they last right about an hour. And uh, we tell you the history of the church. And uh, we talk about how all of us can take our next step with God. So it's a, it's, it's a pretty great time. And it's good food. And we hope... Uh, if you'd like to come, that you, that you will come. All right. We're ending a series today on storms. Thank goodness. My goodness. Who could have known? Who could have known four weeks ago when we started this series what was going to happen uh, in the North America region, right? That Harvey slams into Texas, dropping a record amount of rainfall. And you think about that. And Irma is today, this morning, is just slamming into Florida. There's another hurricane behind it. The earthquake that took place down in Mexico. All of these things. Who could have known these things could have happened? You think about what uh, tomorrow is, September 11th, and you think back to those years ago. What happened on September 11th? It was such a, I mean, I'm sure you remember it. I remember I was here, and it was just so, what a beautiful, beautiful morning. Who could have known that that tragedy is about ready to happen. And so you have these storms. Now, I know they're different. There's natural storms, and then you have this attack on September 11th, right? But here's the thing. Storms are always in our path. I, mean, I don't know where you are right now, but I can, I, with great certainty, can tell you this. There's a storm headed your way. Eventually, you're going to face a storm. I don't know what magnitude it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be a Category 1 or it's going to be a Category 3 or whatever. Well, now, we're all headed to a really big storm, right? We're all, everybody's heading into a really big storm, and that's a storm of death, okay? But there, with certainty, all of us are headed into a storm. And when we hear about a place that they have a big storm and they were totally unprepared for, like they didn't have a plan, what do you say when you hear about that? You're like, oh my gosh, what, why didn't you have a plan in place? You should have had a plan in place. That's what this series has really been all about. It's about putting a plan in place. Because when you go through a storm, what you really, really need is you need hope. 
right? None of us are going to make it through life without experiencing suffering, and none of us are going to make it through suffering without having hope. And so the book of First Peter, this letter that we've been studying, is all about hope. Like Peter is the apostle of hope. It sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? He's the apostle of hope. That's his thing. That's what he does. He brings us hope. All right? So today we're going to end it off and we're going to get really, really practical. So the title of the message for today is Here and Now. Because we've talked about some really cool things. But if you're like me, right, we've talked about the hope is future and is forward and Jesus is an anchor and he's pulling us through all these great things from God's word. right? But today, let's talk about some practical things that Peter gives us about how we can experience hope right here, right now. So uh, God thought it was a good idea for me to, like, test drive this series. So in, in the many, many months leading up to this series, God said, you know what, John, I think you should, like, drive this around the block a couple times and kick the tires and actually see if this works. And I'll explain more of that at the end. But just, just so you know, this is the last storm series we ever do in the history of this church, right? So <laughs> you can always find it online. Go back and listen to it. But we'll be talking about health, wealth, and prosperity and all that stuff. <laughs> and we'll be like a dog on a bone after that from here on out. All right? All right. So uh, verse number five is a verse I really want to focus on uh, from First Peter chapter 2. It says, you also like living, living stones. Hmm, interesting. Living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Oh, that's interesting. What's a spiritual house? It's a temple. So God is building the text. I'm it being built. Like it's a construction project that is keep going. It, it's, it's under construction right now. Like it started and it's coming out of the grain, but it's continuing to go. Okay? That's it. It's being built. The spirit, this temple. What is a temple? So, so a temple is a house of God. It's where God dwells. So people all throughout history have built temples. And the reason why is, is that, that people have always had a very strong sense that there's, there's a gap between us and God. And so what they would do is they would build a temple, put brick upon brick, and they would build this place, this structure. And if you look at it, like if you just Google this, right, temple, it'll tell you this is where God dwells on earth. So it's like where heaven meets earth. It's where God dwells. So if you want to go and experience God, number one reason people go to church in America, survey says, ding, 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 to experience God. That's why people go to church. If you wanted for all those years, right? You want to experience God. You build a temple, boom, you go there. That's where God is. That's God's house. And you would experience God's presence. It's a place to experience. The temple was. The temple was a place to find hope and healing, right, and help. You would go to the temple, to God's house where God is. Well, there's God. God's over there. You would go into that. You would go there to find meaning and purpose for life. That's what always a temple was. Does that make sense? That's always what it was. People have always built temples. They've always all kinds of religions, right? It's always to have a temple. Okay, when you when you when you read like historians of antiquity, they're so like, oh my gosh, what is up with this Christian movement? It was radically different because because there wasn't a temple. Now Jesus says he's building a temple. Matthew sixteen, the first time Jesus ever mentions the word church in scriptures, I will build my church. So Jesus is the architect; he's the builder. Paul follows this up later in Ephesians chapter two, where he says these words, and in him, in him who. Jesus. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which who lives? God lives by his spirit. So there you go. There's temple. God's presence. Where I go to the temple, I go to God's presence. Where, who's it, whose house is God's house? My house. God's house, right? It's my house. That's what God says. God says, it's my house. That's where I am. You want to go experience God? All these things I just talked about. That is, that is where you go. But these historians say, what is with this Christian movement? They don't have a temple. They don't have a priest. They don't make sacrifices. This was radical. This was unheard of. Why is this happening? Where is the temple? They would ask Christians, where is your temple? We don't have one. But Jesus says he's building one. So where is the temple? So a temple is brick upon brick, stone upon stone. See, the only thing different about the Christian temple is Jesus is using, the architect, the builder, is using different material. He's not using brick upon brick or stone upon stone. He's using, according to this, living stones. Now, what in the world is a living stone? A living stone is you and me. It's every single person who has experienced what Peter says is the new birth or the born-again experience, according to Jesus in John chapter 3, who has become a follower of Jesus Christ, who experienced salvation. They become a living stone, and then the architect, the builder, Jesus Christ, begins to place them. Christian upon Christian upon Christian, building the temple, building the temple, building the temple, right? Like I have a structure back here, like these risers, it's building, it's building up. And it's an ongoing project. 
And Jesus is the architect. And this, this is what he's doing. So that being the case, there's two questions to ask here as a result of it. And here's the first one. It's on the back of your bulletin. If you like to fill stuff in, you can do it, right? But it is, I ask myself this question. Am I willing to be shaped by Christ? So am I, am I willing to be shaped by Jesus Christ? He's the molder. He's the shaper. He has a purpose. He has an idea. He's the architect. He's the builder. Look what Jeremiah 18 says. You find this same idea all throughout the Bible. This is a pretty cool one right here because it's a little story. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah that um, go down to the potter's house and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot. And then notice the last part that I underlined, shaping it as seemed best to who? Him. Shaping it as seemed best. So in other words, he's the architect, he's the builder. He's shaping this as seemed best to him. Now, look, when these words are written, the temple is still standing in Jerusalem. And when we took a trip there as a church, there was like 30 of us that went there uh, three-ish years ago, went over there. You can still see the remains of, of the great temple the wall of it, at least, that is in Jerusalem. Those stones are massive. They've been, they're not random stones. They're like, oh, let's just throw a bunch of stones together. Oh, no, 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 no. They were shaped. They were shaped to the exact shape that they need to be, and they were put in place. These big, huge, there's nothing random. There's nothing random about it. They were shaped, and they were put in, molded, shaped, and placed, put in place. So Jesus has shaped all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ for a purpose, his purpose in his house. So we come together to this temple, Christian upon Christian, not as a consumer, which is a very kind of Western thing to do, right? I've been raised in this culture. It's the way I would approach it. It's a very Western thing to do. I come as a consumer. I come into the house and I say, okay, I'm going to go to church when I want to go, where I want to go, and I'm going to keep going there, maybe sometimes, maybe not, whatever, but as long as it does what? As long as it meets my purposes, my purposes. So I approach it very much like a consumer. And what these verses here are saying that we have to approach it like a contributor, that we're not, we're not coming here for our purposes. We're coming here for his purposes because he has something for us to do if we're followers of Jesus. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, that's the way we approach the temple because that's the way he's building it. This is the way he's decided to build it, right? He has a purpose for us. He has something that he wants us to do, all right? Here's the second question. Am I willing to be set in place by Christ? Exodus 19, there's a lot of verses again that will back this up, but for time's sake, let's just look at one. Exodus 19, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So people say, historians of antiquity say, wait a minute, you don't have temple, you don't have priests, you're not making sacrifice. What's up? What's up with you guys? What are you, you, know, what are you doing? Well, what we're told here is there's not, there's not, there's, 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 everybody's a priest. Every, so everybody's a follower of Christ is, is a priest. We call it the priesthood of all believers. That's the technical name for it. You know what does that mean? What's a priest do? What's a priest do in the temple? A priest serves. That's why the priest was there. The priest was there to serve. That's what they would do. And so what does that mean? That means every single person, every single person who is a follower of Jesus Christ approaches the temple, approaches the house of God and says, okay, I'm not here as a consumer. I'm here, I'm here to serve. Where do, I, where, where do I serve? Show me where to serve. God, how do you want me to serve? We're called to be a part of this temple. All cultures... All cultures are the same. They're power-based cultures. Every culture is the same. It's a power-based one, right? You know this. The more power you have, the more what you have, the more servants you have, right? The more power you have, the more people serve you, right? That's the whole point. You want to get as much power or money or whatever so you can have as many people serve you so that you can feel really great and being taken care of. Every culture is the same. Every culture is the same way. And here Jesus Christ comes along and he does what to it? He doesn't massage it. He like flips it. He like inverts it completely. Think about this. How's the temple built? Where are the biggest, most powerful, most mature stones in a temple? They're at the bottom. Like they're right in the foundation. Many of them that are the most mature stones you can't even see. They're down in the mud. You don't even get to see them. They're down there serving and supporting all the other stones up top. Right? That's, that's the way a temple works. The large, mature stones at the bottom, they're serving. Everything else is resting upon them. Now, I have heard this. I've been in the ministry about 25 years. I've heard this my entire 25 years of ministry. I have people say, you know, I've been in church a long time and around a long time, or, you know, whatever. And I, I did all that stuff before. But you know what? I've done my time. I'm done serving. Let's let all the new people come in. And, and I'm going to sit back. 
right? So basically what they're saying is, you know, I'm going to take this big, mature, heavy stone that's been here, and I'm just going to, I'm pulling out of that. I'm going to put the big, heavy stone on top, and let's put the brand new stones, weaker, smaller stones that have just got here on the bottom. Does that make sense to you? Would you build a building that way? Would you put the smaller stones on the bottom and the big, heavy stones on top? You got a problem. It's going to fall. It's going to fall. So this is the way Jesus Christ is building his money. Take the big mature stones, you put it, and what are they? They're servants. They're there to serve and support everybody else that's on top of them. And he's just, the building project is ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. Right? This happens in church all the time. Sometimes it's pretty cool. Because sometimes I'll go to some churches, right, and they'll have like a buffet or a potluck or something, and oh, the pastor, you get front of the line. And that's when it's really cool. You know what I'm saying? Some of you have been to churches like this, a pastor is the pastor's parking spot. That's really cool, okay? It's totally unbiblical, but it's really cool. Okay? So, so am I willing to be set in place? What place? He's not random. He's purposed me, shaped me, mold me, put me in a certain place, right, to be a servant for all those, to support, the, and I'm fixed, so he's fitted me, but now he's fixed me. He's fixed me in a certain spot. These stones are cemented in, everybody. They're not like loose and like, you know, hey, okay, I'm here today, but I'm gone tomorrow, right? I mean, the whole temple's going to fall apart if that's it, but cemented in. Now, I hear this all the time, and you know, you know this. If you've been around church, you know this to be true. I mean, these are awesome, right? With a push of the button, everybody, you can listen to the greatest preachers that America has to offer, the most inspiring, the most compelling, the awesome. Like, if you get bored here today, you could put your earbuds in right now, right, and listen to somebody who's far more compelling than me. It is fantastic. And I hear this all the time. People say, you know, man, I, you know, I just listen. I'm a sermon junkie. I listen. I'm a sermon junkie, too. They tell me, I'm a sermon. I listen to all kinds of great things. Where are you going to church? Oh, no. No, no. I just kind of, you know, I'm a free agent. And I'll say, I'll just check, you know, it, I go to the place, you know, if I'm getting something out of it, okay, it's good. But then I, I you know, I want to see what's happening here and here and here and here and here. That's wonderful. That is really, and I understand it. It's a really Western mindset about church and freedom and, be, you know, it really is. And I, I can appreciate, I totally appreciate it. But Jesus is simply saying in these verses, that's not how I build my, my building. That's not how I build my temple. I'm not building that way. Like, if you want to do that, that's okay. I'm just not, that's not part of my project. My project is I take these stones and I put them in and they're fixed and they serve and they're cemented in. They're fixed and they're fitted. And we're, we're, we're going to keep building up, 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 up together. And who is the cornerstone in this? Now, I don't want to get too much into the cornerstone thing because we're going to really get into it for the next seven weeks. It says Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Well, what's a cornerstone? That's the first stone you put in place. That's the one that goes way deep, deep, deep down in the mud and everything else is shaped by the cornerstone. So that's the first one. So what is this temple all about? It's about building a Christ-first culture. So the whole temple is affected by that. Now, we're going to really get into that starting next week when we start the adulting series, the adulting series, because James describes to us what a Christ-first culture practically looks like. So you know one of the biggest complaints about churches in America? They're irrelevant. What's the antidote to that? The book of James. So if you think church ought to be more relevant, hang on, because it's really coming. He's very relevant. And think about this, James. He's the brother of Jesus. What would it take for you to convince your brother that you were the Messiah? <laughs> right. That's James. It's really, really cool. Now, I said this in the beginning, all right, that uh, I felt like God uh, said to me, hey, look, let's test drive this uh, hope series. Let's see if it actually works. So I'm going to tell you a story now about my life, and it's going to be overlapping stories. It's the only way I could figure out how to do it. So I'm going to start a story, and it's going to go, it's going to go back like a couple years and come forward, and then I'm going to start another one, okay? And they're going to keep overlapping over each other. And you guys are so smart that you're going to figure it out, okay? But you need to know all this stuff I'm telling you is overlapping on top of each other. But I'll run out of time, so I won't be able to get all the details, but all this stuff is like just coming on each other. Okay, all right, here we go. It all started with my daughter. Uh, sophomore year, spring, she's a soccer player. Uh, she was the captain of her soccer team and her basketball team, and it's springtime, and we're down in Richmond, and we're at a big stadium at night under the lights, and her team is playing for a state championship. They're in the semifinals of state championship. They've played a double overtime game, and uh, they've gone to PKs, penalty kicks. 
You got five from each team, and they kick, boom, boom, back and forth randomly. You got to walk out. It's like this long walk all by yourself, and it's terrible. She's the fifth kicker, and the score is two to two. If she makes it, we're going to celebrate. If she misses it, everybody's going to be angry. So when she started walking out, I was frozen. I should have ran down to the other end of the field, but I was so frozen, so scared. I just stood there. Oh, my gosh, Jesus, help us. And so she walks out there, and uh, she kicks a laser right into the top right corner of the, of the goal. Huge celebration. Fans storm the field. It's awesome. Many of the, her teammates are all returning. They ended up playing in the state championship and lost by one goal and penalty kicks again. But um, uh, it, it's amazing. So they're looking for a really great season in her junior season. The beginning of her junior season, I'll never forget it. I'm standing on the side of the field of a soccer game. It's right here in Falls Church. And she runs by the sideline, and she just says to me, Dad, my, my foot's numb. I thought, well, that's strange. What is that? And it continued to hurt her. It continued to continue. So we start going to see doctors and, you know, what's, what's going on? I, we think maybe she has plantar fasciitis. And so she hobbles her way through that soccer season. They don't do as well. You know, it's just kind of, but still we're looking forward to, to, to the senior season. It's going to be a big deal. I mean, so, so anyway, she rehabs the entire summer, and we're going to see doctors, and they hey, we, we think this is it. She has, like, plantar fasciitis, and she just needs to rehab. It's going to be okay. So the next school year, her senior season, everybody, next school year she starts, and all of a sudden the pain comes back, and this time it's worse. So we go to doctors like, no, she doesn't have plantar fasciitis. Well, we thought she did. Well, no, she doesn't. And then that one doctor or the other, and they said, well, she needs this surgery. And we, all were that cl- we were that close to getting two different surgeries for our daughter that she did not need. And we almost did it, but just at the last second. Something didn't feel right. And it was just terrible of unknowing. And here she is, and now she has to sit out, and she's in pain. She tried to play her basketball season. She hurt so bad. After two minutes, she would be on the sidelines in tears, crying, because the pain was so intense on her. It was terrible to go through. We went to 13 doctors with no answers. Her entire basketball season, her entire soccer season, all of it was gone. It was heart-wrenching. We're finally sitting with her, with her you know, primary one day. You know, we've seen all kinds of people, right? Everybody. We've seen everybody and the doctors. At it. And we're like, hey, well, what about this? And what about this? Because the primary doesn't really seem to be interested in like, oh, we just, I, I, we can't find anything wrong, you know? And, um, you know, finally the primary's like, you know, I think she's just going to have to live with it. This is the way it is. Like, this is such a low moment for me. Of all that my daughter's been through, it's like, oh, she's going to have to live with this tremendous pain the rest of her life. Like, it hurts her to walk at this point because it's progressively getting worse. I said, you know, the, the chiropractor, and the doctor said, excuse me? And we have chiropractor. You went to a chiropractor? And I, yeah. And just, the chiropractor really thinks something's wrong. They're not even a doctor. I know, but we, we need an answer, and we're not really going anywhere here. And it's like, well. So chiropractors on this thing like a dog on a bone and push it, push it. Anyway, we end up getting this one test. It's this Doppler study. We go for this, and we had to push to get it. We almost didn't get it done. I'm just thinking the decisions we made along the way that we almost didn't do. And so, you know, they're there, and they're getting ready to do the Doppler and everything. It's all about blood flow situation. Everything's happy, and everybody's nice, and all of a sudden, zoom, everything stops. And you see the people doing the study like, Oh, my gosh, she has total, total blockage of blood. No blood is flowing to her right leg. She has partial blockage in her left leg. It's something that a lot of soccer girls get, teenage soccer girls. They develop their calf muscles a certain way. It pinches on that popliteal artery, and it totally cuts off. And she had 100% blood. She could have lost her leg. That close. We search around who can do it because uh, this one doctor finally talked to a doctor who's very, very helpful. He said, hey, man, you need to get somebody who's done a ton of these. And, I mean, you don't want somebody on their first rodeo on this. This is a big deal. So there's two places that do it here on the East Coast that do a lot of this. And one of them happens to be right up the road here in Hopkins. Thank the Lord for that. And a guy that does tons of these things all the time. And so it's going to be like a five-hour surgery. She's going to spend five days in the hospital. And they tell us before we go there, right before we go there, they say, you know, we've reserved a bed for her in ICU. I see you. It's going to be that bad. So, you know, our hearts are skipping beats, okay? It's, we're, we're, we're just in a constant state of just not knowing. All right, let's go back. Let's do another story. My brother-in-law, Frank, about a year and a half ago, got a lump on his throat. He had it checked out. He had cancer. He had to have treatment. He had surgery. He had treatment. had aggressive treatment. Things looked good. Then things didn't look so good. And um, he was doing, you know, he was doing okay. And then all of a sudden he wasn't doing okay at all. 
And um, I remember we, we had gone to Virginia Beach to do a wedding. We got out of the wedding. We were going to spend one week. Our family had been through so much. We'd spend one week down as a family, the four of us, in North Carolina. And we FaceTime uh, with Frank and my sister Linda and uh, family. And, you know, we were like, hey, you know, we'll be back in a week, you know. And that next day, he passed away. He was gone. And we just had his funeral just a couple weeks ago. And that was just a huge blow. And now my sister, you know, husband's passed on, and my teenage niece and nephew, dad's not here. Let's do another story. So um, my father-in-law, many of you know Big Russ. If you've been around Grace a long time, you know Big Russ. Uh, you know, he's about five foot tall. He was our head greeter. He's a very popular guy here at Grace for years. Like more people knew Russ than they knew me. I mean, he was just a very outgoing, gregarious guy. And uh, this past uh, spring, uh, he had to have emergency surgery. And that emergency surgery just kept morphing over into bigger problems. He had to go to the hospital, then he had to go to rehab, and then he got this horrendous infection out of, out of rehab. And so when we were coming back from spending five days up at uh, Johns Hopkins, five minutes in the house, five minutes in the house, we get a phone call. Hey, your dad's been taken by ambulance to the hospital. So he gets this terrible infection. He passes the infection along to my mother-in-law. So now the two of them can't touch each other. They can't be in the same room with each other. They've got to be apart from each other. So now he's doing really, really bad. She's doing really, really bad. And there, she spends three weeks in the hospital. It's supposed to be three days, three weeks in the hospital. Eventually she goes to the same rehab as him. And they're across the hall from each other, but they can't see each other. And she just gets worse and worse. And so then he gets rid of the infection, and then he gets the infection back, and she gets rid of the infection, gets the infection back, and it just keeps snowballing over and over and over again. Um, we went to our daughter's doing well now. We go up to college to drop her off at college. We come, and this is a tough time for me. We had the van, she had the van packed. <laughs> you couldn't get a piece of paper inside that van. It was so packed with stuff. And you pull up to this college, you pull up to this college and just a whole group of college students descend on your van. They give you a special time to come, right? They descend on the van, you open it up, and within, I mean, literally two minutes, everything in that van was completely empty. Krista and I didn't even pack it. There wasn't room for us to pack anything. Even though we were spending the night there, we just had to, this is it, right? So 100%, the van is completely empty. She's gone, right? She's gone, she's gone up to the room, and I'm standing there looking at this empty van, and I think, this is the way I feel. I feel like everything in my life is completely empty. It's all gone. We come back, we get back, we go straight to the nursing home to see Russ, and we're basically living at the nursing home, particularly Krista. Three times a day minimum, sometimes four, for hours, spending the night there, everything, because it's just a huge problem. It, father has dementia, very disoriented, very frustrated. It's a very, very difficult thing. Phone's ringing all the time. You're like jumping up all the time when the phone rings. It's just absolutely. So we get there. He's, he's there. He's outside in a wheelchair, but he's totally unresponsive. By the next day, by the very next day, he's in bed, never got out of bed again. Totally unresponsive. Finally, he cleared the infection. The mom, my mother-in-law, clears the infection. They bring uh, her over to the same room, and on Sunday, two weeks ago, Sunday, two weeks ago, we were able to help her get up and put her in the same bed with him. She stayed there for a while with him. He's totally unresponsive. We, it's, we have pictures. It's pretty heartbreaking. We finally move her back. Then the stupid dog that was there gets up and jumps up into bed with him, too. He loved that dog. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> gets up in bed with him. Then we get rid, of, get rid of the dog and we're just all right there. And Krista and I went over and Krista's talking to him and I'm, we're just there with him and he takes his last breath. The funeral is a few days after that. So Krista's mom started to do a little bit better. Day of the funeral, right? She ruptures her appendix. She's in the hospital now. We have no idea when she's getting out. She is not doing well. We have the funeral. She can't even attend. All right, so all these things are overlapping each other. And again, it's all night long with the phone calls and checking in with doctors here, doctors. All right, let's do one last thing. Let's talk about me. I will never forget June 8th, 2017. We're getting ready for our daughter's graduation. We have 70 people coming over to our house the very next day to celebrate graduation. So we were up early because Chris and I was like, okay, we got to do this, this, this. We have our list, right? So 
um, at 7 o'clock, I had run into the kids' bathroom to, like, to get up all their towels or whatever and run it. So, so I, I, I got it, and I picked it up, and I went to go to the door with the towels, and I collapsed. I, I went right down. I lost all power. It's like, boom, straight down. I had feeling, no blurred vision, no slurred speech, down on the ground. Krista. Okay. That's what happened. I was down there for 45 seconds. Neck down, no power, totally alert, everything's cool. Just had no power, neck down. 45 seconds later, it comes back. We call 911. I've always had bradycardia that's a slow heart rate. My heart rate was at 38, which is really, really low for me. Really low. I usually am in like the mid-40s or 50, right? We go to the emergency room. They run all kinds of tests. The ER doctor, I'm pummeling him with questions. He's like, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with you. I've now been to see eight different doctors. I tell them all the same story that happened to me. I say, you ever heard that before? And they all say the same thing. I've never heard that in my life, right? Except for that sleep apnea doctor. He's like, I hear that story all the time. I'm like, come on, man, come on. <laughs> give, me a, give me a break. I've been to see two cardiologists, and one cardiologist says, hey, look, uh, I can't find anything wrong with you. You have the heart of an athlete. Everything's great. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to eat more. Come on. Yeah, I want you to eat more. I want you to hamburgers. I want you to eat milkshakes. Start drinking a bunch of milkshakes. That's my prescription? Yes. <laughs> now, we are living in a constant, like, panic state, as I said. So one, one day, I'm sitting there, and we're getting information because one week after that happened is Gracie's going into surgery. So after she has surgery, and they get her up and walk around after so I'm walking with her, and she's got the IV thing, and I'm like hanging on the walls, and so she's like, Dad, do we need to go back? You know, not for me, but for her, but for me. And I'm like, yes, because I don't think I'm going to make it back. So what happens that same day, I, we had a funeral. The church had a funeral. And I felt okay. I was freaked out, but I felt okay. And right before that funeral started that afternoon, all of a sudden something hit me. I started feeling dizzy, like really dizzy and weak. Like I had to hold on to something. Like, what is this? Since that moment, it started about eight hours after that, nine, ten hours after that episode, I've had persistent dizziness while I was sitting on a stool a few weeks ago. It got so bad that I was hanging onto walls. I had to sit to go down steps. It was terrible. I was to do a wedding for a great couple that come here to Grace great couple. They'd asked me more than a year ago, can I go up to Baldwinsville, New York, outside of Syracuse and, and do, do a wedding? And so I, I'm like, mm, man, am I going to be okay? I was so nervous. Because you're self-conscious when you have this. Like, does everybody see me going like this? Is, there, you know, is that just me? or does, is it, You know what I'm saying? So, but the doctor said it was okay. It was about a month after. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll make it. But then I started to feel it again stronger. And I'm up there at this wedding at this beautiful church in this little town. And I'm worried about this happening to me. And right before the wedding, we needed some cue from somebody in the lobby. So I ran around right to the front and I opened the, the door to the lobby of the church. And as soon as I opened it, there is a young woman, probably 30 years old, who completely passes out right in front of me. I'm like, of all things that I need to see at this moment, that's, that's the exact thing that I don't need to see. And she passed out and she like went rigid. She was like this. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I go back around and my mind is spinning. I just hope I didn't say anything stupid in the wedding, you know, because like, I'm just thinking so hard about standing up, you know. We make it through, but I've had this persistent dizziness. So, all right, there you go. There's a bunch of overlapping stories. Now, how do we practically experience hope? Because that's what we need, right? Because we're all going to face a storm. I hope you don't face like a storm like what we've been through, but we're all going to face a storm. We all got stuff going on. How are we going to have hope? So we want to try to illustrate this at the end of the message. And so I'm going to ask uh, my wife, Krista, would come, and all those who are helping, all those who are helping would just come on stage. We're going to try to illustrate how practically we experienced hope and how God, how God built this temple Christian upon Christian, right? Living stone upon living stone in our own lives, uh, which was just, just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal help. Okay. All right. You're good to go. All right. Let me describe this as everybody's coming up. I'm going to do a big overview because we won't have, we won't have time to get into a lot of details. And we're, what we're doing here is kind of dangerous. We know that because we're sure that we're leaving somebody out. We know that and we, we really apologize. Our life has been very, very difficult recently. But here's a group of people standing up here who, you know, they're up here because, you know, they called us. They texted us. They prayed with us. They sent us scriptures. 
persistently in our lives. They delivered meals. They gave us unexpected gifts. So, because so, not, we're not going to be able to go over this whole thing, but what you need to know is that the people that you see up here were just like in our lives constantly, like cemented like a temple in our lives, doing stuff actively for all the time. And there were moments that that brought us phenomenal hope, but it just supported us all. So I want to start with this, and then Krista's going to jump in, okay? It, for, it all starts with community group. I mean, for me, about seven, eight years ago, I really felt God said, you know, because here, and I would just bop around to different community groups, I felt like God said, you know what? No, 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 no. You need to be, you need to really get in a community group. And so I began to pray, God, where? Because Jesus prayed all night before he chose his community group, for those of you familiar with the scriptures. So I pray, pray, pray. And then I had two guys that came and they, they prayed with me. How are we going to start this? What are we going to do? We prayed, prayed, prayed. And we put together this group. So I got a number of my guys that's in my community group. Could you all just, who's in my community group? A bunch of them over here and over here in my group. Okay. Here's why I want to highlight them. You know, we don't get everything right in our, my community group that I'm a part of, okay? And if you walk past the door where we meet, you sometimes you'll hear some yelling and screaming because we vigorously discuss the things that we discuss about God's Word. We do, and we have very different We don't have that in our women's group. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very exciting, it's a very exciting place to be. But I tell you, the one thing we do get right, we pray for each other. And we really do. And we're really serious about that. We pray for each other all throughout the year, right? And these guys would call me, text me, email me, scriptures. Hey, I'm, I just want you to know I'm praying for it. I want you to know I'm praying for it. And I got that over and over again. And as all these stories unfolded, they just kept tr- just going up. And so they prayed and prayed and prayed for more than a year for me, hard about all this stuff. Uh, and it, it, was, it was it's just amazing. So two, two of my guys are actually over at West Falls Church, right? Um, Ryan Bracken and, and, and Jamie Dahl. And let me, let me just, let me say one thing about Jamie, and then we're going to go through, through this whole thing. Look, uh, Jamie Dahl was old when this church started, okay? <laughs> and he's been in church his entire life, everybody, his whole life. Like he was burked on a pew of a Baptist church, right? <laughs> Between the second and third verse of Old Rugged Cross. So he's been around a long time. Around time, Okay. And, and Jamie's at a place in his life, he owns his own business, he could go to a really great place every single weekend, he can afford to do that. But what you'll find most all the time is you'll find Jamie Dahl at West Falls Church at, at our location over there, and he's the first guy in, he's the last guy out. He's right way down, way down in the mud, serving, serving. And um, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of people that, that are in my group. Okay, Krista, take it away. Okay, so we have tons and tons of people to thank. And I have to do a shout-out to my own women's uh, community group. You guys made a huge difference in my life. You've sent me texts, scriptures, and I know you've been praying with me. Uh, You are my sisters in the Lord, and I love you very much. Um, So I'm just going to do a quick. Let me start with Ryan and Alicia. Shoot. Uh, they, they, They ministered at my dad's funeral. They sent us a card at a very low time in our lives, and it just reminded us of God's love for us. Julie and Keith, um, they visited my dad. We're up at Johns Hopkins with my mom, with my daughter, and my dad was in the nursing home and, and, and needed attention, and they were there. Been through so much. Ruth Ann, Ruth Ann has known me since I was a little girl. She's been a dear friend of our family. We call her Aunt Ruth Ann, and, and she has, she's done everything you can completely imagine for both my mother and my father. Always there, steady friend. Devin and Vicki, prayer warriors, my, my strength, always, always shooting me a prayer, reminding me that she's praying. Uh, Vicki would remind me that she's praying for me. Devin, the same with us. Visited us in the Visited us hospital. at, at the we hospital in Gracie, too. And uh, had a major impact on my brother-in-law, uh, Frank's uh, life. Frank had lost so much weight that uh, his wedding ring just slipped off. And that community group, you know, that really transformed Frank's life, you know, got together and got him a wedding ring. And it was just absolutely awesome. And there's number of people I know that are here that are in Devin Vicky's uh, group and just huge. Okay, sorry. Oh my goodness, uh, Jennifer and John Claffey, uh, part of uh, John's community group, and Jennifer, amazing, amazing job for my dad's funeral. Sh- tremendous blessing to us. Stacy and Richard, boy, I could go on and on. Uh, dear, dear, dear friend, she uh, leads community groups with me. Um, she's been there for me 
a thousand different ways. That's all I can say for now. Richard's blessed me and encouraged me as well and, and, and helped me through this very difficult time. Brian and Sandy, oh my goodness. John can jump in too, but I'm going to tell you about Sandy. She has been a rock for me. There hasn't been a day gone by that she hasn't been checking in on me, texting, praying, praying so fervently, not just a little prayer, praying fervently for behalf of the health of my family, particularly my daughter, and came to Johns Hopkins and sat with me the day of her surgery when things were uh, very uh, tense. Yeah, yeah. So Brian's a member of the Air Force. Very busy lives. And I know many of you, you're military. You, you're in and out. And a lot of times the idea is, I would do the same thing. You know, I'm just here for a short time. Now I'm not going to really get engaged or involved. Or the other thing is I'm just super busy. And so Brian and Sandy are really super busy. And, the, you know, they're at a place for one or two years. And then, and, and then they moved on. But the moment they hit the doors here at Grace, they immediately said, okay, where are we going to start serving? And they did. And um, there's so many stories I could tell because Brian texts and called me all the time, Check on me, but I'll just give you one. Call me one day. He says, "Hey, you want me to stop and get you a milkshake and bring it over to you?" And, was, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that. That was absolutely awesome. Lauren and Chris Landergan. Okay, there was a really low point, um, and yes, pastors' wives feel like God has forgotten them too, and I was one of them. Um, I was so discouraged one day because of going through stuff with Gracie, and uh, they gave us a card with a gift, and so specifically the words that uh, they had written um, just brought me hope again uh, they were just the body of Christ for me and encouraged well us. it was a moment that we and some of you feel like this sometimes we felt like we were totally forgotten like God's not interested he's just checked out on us or whatever and it was just a defining moment for us because of exactly what they had written what it meant to us is that God had not forgotten us and that was a very powerful moment for us. It was a pivotal moment yeah, for yeah. us. Pivotal. The Nyberts, dear friends standing with us uh, through prayer, encouragement. Again, more texts, more prayers, more reminding, uh, reminders. Yeah, well, that they, Kurt and Rhonda have us. always been, sorry to jump, but always been there. And Kurt, he loves he to loves, talk. Loves, <laughs> I actually don't, but uh, anyway. Well, True. <laughs> yeah, Kurt loves, uh, you know, baseball, and my brother-in-law, Frank, loved baseball, and would just come over and help and be there and, you know, watch baseball. That was great. Yeah. You go for it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mike and Millie, you know, here, who brought us uh, a, a meal. Feast. and yeah, Oh, yeah. It's a huge, massive feast for us and help. Here's Betsy. Where's Rob? Rob's back here. So Rob, Rob and Betsy and their two boys um, helped out uh, Frank and Linda over at their house with a bunch of stuff. And then with the funeral, you know, just single-handedly took that on. Uh, and Betsy was a rock star. She's yeah, amazing. It was just, it was, it was incredible. It was just really incredible. Uh, all right, we'll work our way back up to Mike Chow up there is in my group and his wife, April. And, uh, you know, Mike's always praying for me. And so the wives have to get involved with the prayer too. So she, <laughs> she, she was drafted. And there's Linda uh, back there. So Linda would uh, email me, you know, time to time. She made a beautiful gift for Gracie. That was a very meaningful gift before she went away Cards. You know, to college. And she would email me stuff about the Redskins because a lot of hopelessness there and that <laughs> help okay you want to pick up with Dee Dee uh, oh my goodness Dee Dee another another complete rock star I, I don't have enough hours to talk to you about her she has daily checked in with me with texts and encouragements and, and scriptures and sermonettes and, and et cetera et cetera but she was also this researcher because all of this health in my family is just completely deteriorated like Dee Dee have you ever heard of this yeah yeah can you be a doctor for me so she she was like an, an, an extra pseudo doctor for our family and, and yeah just, just and we should there. point out too that dd and sandy and stacy is stacy over there she's over here okay and jennifer is jennifer downstairs doing the next step uh huge at russ's funeral i mean we had so much going on and they just it was phenomenal uh, okay mark uh anderson back there just great counsel and prayer and just always there in a in a meal you got the two swiggards here you got the older and the younger version right there next to them <laughs> So when that whole thing happened to me that I described, I really didn't tell any, you know, a buddy about it, but it leaked out. And some of the people that it leaked to was to Doug and Aaron, and they would be sure to always stop me and, and text were, me and tell me they were big. They were also a big support to our son. My son needed somebody yes. to talk to, and 
And you guys were it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And here's a bunch of guys from my, you know, community group and those who aren't in, in my community group, not, not Janet right here. So Karen and Janet, they go together. They're, they're, they're a couple right here. Uh, always were very loving and kind and supportive to Russ and Ev, my, my father-in-law and, and mother-in-law, and bringing a meal and praying and just there all, always. So just wonderful. Keith, I mentioned Keith and Julie, who goes, are you guys separated? You guys got to stay together. Uh, it would make, make it easier. But just visiting Russ all the time. Last one, Timmy back there. Timmy, Hello. There he is. So Timmy was like prayer warrior. I mean, if you want to say anything about Timmy, <laughs> one thing you will say is the man loves to pray, and he prayed for Frank like nobody's business, and uh, just huge role in his life. And so do you have anything else you want to say? I, I just wanted to say I, I couldn't have done this without the community, my community group, the women's ministry, all the ladies, and John's, the men in, in John's life. You know, when you're in ministry, you can't just tell everybody your problems. Um, you're supposed to take all their problems on. And um, it's been a humbling experience. But truly, I have been completely at an empty place so many times. And the love and prayers and support of, of the women in my life has been like a liquid just poured, of, poured into me, full of strength to get me through some very dark times. So yeah. thanks to all of you. So I want to I do one last thing, everybody. I want you to look at this, if you can, okay? What's being described to us in the scriptures is there's the temple. If you're wondering where it is, it's not brick upon brick. It's living stone upon living stone. That's what Jesus Christ is constructing. And the question is we have to ask ourselves is, do I have one of those? Am I a part of one of those? Because that's what it's meant. That's what it's meant to be. And you walk into that and you cement yourself in there fixed and fitted by God. And, and you experience God, which we have. And you experience hope and purpose and meaning when things seem really meaningless. And this is how it happens. So I know today is kind of community group sign-up day. I would just encourage you to pray about this is because we're all going to face storms. We all, and God will guide us to, to the, we had no idea this was getting, right? So seven, eight years ago, I began to pray. I had no idea. I didn't want it to happen. That's for, that's for sure. But here's, here's what happened. And here's, Here's, here's how we found hope, right there. That's the picture. So could we all just say thank you for helping us with that? Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion, and then, and then we're done. For those of you who are serving communion, if you could go ahead and, and grab the trays, and uh, we'll begin to immediately begin to distribute and as they're doing it, it won't take us long uh, to do this. Uh, just a couple uh, moments to distribute all the trays. Uh, let me say a couple things about communion. Um, first of all, because if you're new, you might, you might not know, but communion is open to everybody here at Grace. What we, ask, what we ask you to consider is what the Scripture says, is that we should all kind of just examine our own hearts and our own relationship with God. So we ask you to think about that. Um, before we take a moment, because it is a very serious thing, because what you have in communion is Jesus is saying, he's given us a tangible way to look at this. He's saying, this is my body, like he broke his, his body, like he gave his body, sacrificed his life. All right, he, he experienced things for us so that we would, oh, well, please, you can just begin to pass it out immediately. Uh, for us, he gave his life for us. I, it's, it's such a beautiful, compelling, powerful, powerful story to us of unrelenting love. Uh, and that really, that's communion in a nutshell, what Jesus Christ has done for us in his unconditional, unrelenting love for all of us. So I would encourage you, and with that in mind as you take communion this morning, I want you to think about this. He did this for the church. He, 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 didn't, he didn't just do it so you could stop and say, oh, okay, well, that, you know, that was nice, or I want to be inspired you know, when I go to church. Of course, we all want that. What I want to ask you to consider this morning is what is the more? It is just human nature. It's totally my nature to approach everything as a consumer. Instead, I would like to encourage you in these next few moments as we pray about communion, we get ready to take communion, where am I to contribute? He's flipped everything upside down. Where do you want me to be fitted to? Where do you want me to be fixed to? Would you pray about the community that you're supposed to be in? God has a group of people, right, for you to do life with. 
The Bible in the book of Acts is so clear about that. And that's how we, that's how we grow. We sweat it out with people. Like, we don't get fit physically by watching somebody exercise. I mean, we actually, we have to do it ourselves. We have to get engaged. And I just want to ask you, would you be open enough, would you be willing enough to say to Jesus here, the architect and builder of this spiritual house, this temple, and say, where do you want me? With who? Where do I serve? Where am I? And God will lead you. He'll begin to lead you. Maybe the path to it will take a little bit longer. Maybe it'll happen just today as you walk outside. I don't know. But I do know that God is building a temple so that we can walk in it and find hope and healing and purpose and meaning. I just want to encourage you to pray about that in the next few moments. So if you'll just hold the bread and the cup, we're almost done uh, serving it, okay? And then we're all, we're going to pray and we're all going to eat and drink together. We're told in scriptures the night that Jesus... uh, Christ was betrayed that he took bread and he broke it and he said this is my body and I'm giving for you just saying I'm sacrificing myself I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself where you are so you can put yourself where I am and he took a cup said this is my life poured out for you stepped into our place it's a amazing story of love where God you never has the world heard anything like it where God comes down and sacrifices his own life. Everybody made sacrifices to God. We we're never told of a story about God coming down and sacrificing himself for us so that a gap between us and God can be mended. Let's pray and then we'll uh, eat and drink together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your unconditional, unrelenting love for us. It's so amazing. Bless the eating of this bread and drinking of this cup. Lead each one of us, Father, to be fixed and fitted, to be shaped by you and set in place by you into the spiritual house that you have for us, Lord, that we might find true meaning and hope. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat and drink together. Let's pray and then we'll go. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. I know there's those of us in this room that we're pretty low right now and we're wondering when is this storm going to end. And so I, I just want to thank you, God, that there are people in this room that you're pulling through, that you're reinvigorating them with hope. I want to thank you that even though those of us in this room, we can't see when all this is going to end, But you can see and you know that soon, soon, you're going to cause the clouds to clear and the sun to shine. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Lead us all to where you want us to be. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.